This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Tonight I'm joined in studio by Joe Eaton. Good evening. Hey, and I'm Vanessa Taholka. Coming up tonight, we speak about Startup Bootcamp Melbourne because they have big news about their recent smart energy-focused accelerator round. Sounds a little bit mysterious from that, but believe me, you'll be excited to be in this world of emerging tech when you hear what they have in store for us. Before we get to that, news of the week. What's been happening with Gmail, Joe? So, uh, Google's email service, Gmail, they've made some big changes rolling out from today. There were rumblings earlier in the month about the ability to snooze emails in a confidential mode and a nudge function. So, these have all been confirmed. The confidential mode allows users to send a link to the email's content rather than the emailing the content directly. So this means that you can choose to revoke access to the email's contents or set an expiry date. Uh, other security measures include being able to block forwarding, downloading or copying of email's contents. So Google have acknowledged that this won't stop people deliberately taking email contents, but they're hoping it will avoid sort of accidental slipping of emails into the wrong hands and things mm. like that when people accidentally forward or it's interesting the concept of expiry dates and things as well maybe a little bit of that that internal data management happening with their service you know the way we'd use uh, content management systems and yeah it, yeah mm. and um so they are also um, introducing two-factor authentication on a message basis so that you can request that the recipient authenticates themselves before receiving the message and That's a big improvement. Yeah, yeah. And they were also increasing behind-the-scenes um, security in order to help their users avoid phishing scams. So the new design includes a hover menu, so you'll be able to hover over in order to complete some of the actions that you usually have to click through menus to do. Um, the ability to snooze emails, um, nudging emails that require responses. And also they've started a new offline mode, which should be quite useful. Yes, I found offline mode particularly useful when I've had laptops on the way out and their connections have been a bit patchy. And I like the offline mode for all the Google suite, actually. So, Yeah, so I think they're rolling it out to non-business users as well from the sounds of it. Excellent. um, You've got some news from the Australian Information Commission? I certainly do. Look, the 25th of May is not just significant for being Anzac Day. It's also significant because it's the date that the General Data Protection Regulation, which has come into force in the EU a while ago, will be in force within our territory. So what it really has been created to to do is to help protect individual users' data and give them a little bit more visibility and control over where that might be going. Now, Australia has already put in a mandatory um, data breach notification scheme, which came into force this year. However, this scheme is something that's EU-specific, but will actually have far-reaching implications across the world because there's plenty of global platforms that now need to cope with um, more scrutiny and more... uh, Uh, regulatory requirements. So some of the ways this applies is that um, it applies to businesses of a certain size. Uh, There are principles put in in place under the GDPR for processing personal data, uh, which align quite well with some of the Australian privacy principle guidelines. However, those aren't mandatory, they're just guidelines. So it's really nice to see this uh, in an enforceable piece of legislation 
there's a lot in there about requesting consent of users and um, just-in-time requests given just before data is collected or processed so that people actually are in the moment and thinking about things. Separate requests for each collection so people are conscious that, you know, um, requests for their data might be increasing as they're using an app over time, for example, um, and systems that make it easy to withdraw consent. So that's kind of good. There's also guidelines um, within the legislation about access and erasure. So people have individual rights to request and obtain copies of data that businesses have on them and information about how a business is using the data that they've collected, details of how long the data will be stored and information about whom the data might be disclosed to. So relationships there. So this is fantastic. And it's it's a bit crazy that we haven't had this before. And it's coming into force sort of by stealth because of EU's requirements. And they're doing a great favour for all of us, I think. Excellent news. Yeah. So there's other things in there about personal data breaches, which probably double up with what we have. I am not a lawyer. We'll just put that little acronym <laughs> out there. But um, it's definitely something that businesses of a certain size will have to wrap their heads around. And if they're doing so, they could um, definitely go to the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner. I would expect that they're on top of this ahead of time, but for smaller companies, it'd be a bit tricky. So good to get on top of it before you reach that mandatory company size, um, which I can't find in front of me right now. Well, speaking of um, company sizes, um, Verizon and its um, efforts to break up Yahoo. Um, Yahoo owned photo share, well, owned photo sharing site Flickr. It's been acquired by fellow photo sharing service SmugMug. Um, they haven't disclosed the terms of the deal, but um, Verizon acquired Yahoo last year, and they've been sort of breaking it apart a bit as they go. Uh, SmugMug is assuring users that the services will stay separate, so they don't intend to make any immediate changes to Flickr, and they've also promised that any changes they do make in the future will be for the better. So it sounds like it'll be good because Yahoo's really neglected Flickr. Yeah, it's a really sad story what happened to the Flickr team. They had a platform with such promise and a really passionate user base, and they got a lot of things right for a long time, but they really seemed to languish under, yeah. under Yahoo and and um, yeah, that neglect has shown, unfortunately. And already a few years back, there were massive changes to the uh, the membership setup. So pro members, I think, felt quite ripped off. And it was tough to do that to your most passionate users and advocates. I paid for that service many years in a so row. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I've got a lot of love for Flickr. It'd be really nice to see if they could bounce back from... I'd really hope so. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. <gasps> Hello, it's 7.14 on Bite Into It on Triple R. You're with Joe and Vanessa. It's lovely to have you with us this evening. It is also lovely to have a couple of gentlemen in the studio with us tonight. We've just been joined by Trevor Townsend, who's Managing Director of Startup Bootcamp Melbourne. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Vanessa. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us on. Great to have you here. We've also got Jonathan Knight, the CEO and co-founder of Uprise Energy. Hey, Jonathan. Hi there. Great to have you here. Now, the reason we've got you both in together is that you are um, both involved in the recent round of Startup Bootcamp in Melbourne. Trevor, for all of our listeners who don't yet know what that is, could you um, explain a little bit about the whole Startup Bootcamp global team? Sure, yeah. So Startup Bootcamp's a global innovation network and our mission is, is to help startup founders uh, scale their business and we do that by connecting them with mentors 
uh, corporate partners, people they can do business with, and investors. And we do this globally, so we run 21 programs around the world across 14 cities. And uh, this company's been going since uh, 2010, and we've helped over 600 startups during that time. That's fantastic. So um, in this particular round, you're partnering with Energy Australia and you're supporting 10 startups who've come to Melbourne from around the world to participate in uh, our first global accelerator program in Melbourne with you guys. Uh, so tell us a little bit about um, what your process was for determining the final startups to invite to participate in this program with over 450 applications. How did you cope? Well, it was a lot of fun, actually. So we start by um, getting the themes that we're going to recruit the startups on. So our partners, uh, Energy Australia and also Spotless and the Victorian government, we workshop the themes with them. And for the themes for this particular cohort of startups that we were looking for, uh, we were looking uh, for three things in particular, better energy usage, uh, grid independence and advanced technologies as it can be applied to the uh, energy sector. So with those three themes, we went out and we used uh, like bots and so forth and we, we go out and we contacted about 2,000 startups uh, via email and we have email conversations uh, with the startups. Um, and through that, we, we get a list of startups who are interested in meeting with us we then go on and do a global tour. We visited 17 cities around the world. Um, in each of those cities, we met um, at least 10 startups and we interviewed those startups. What we do, we call it a fast track. And in the fast track, we bring local mentors together and with the startups in that various uh, market. And that's where we met Jonathan in San Diego, for example. Um, and we have a good conversation over a day. And through that, we work out who are the people that we can help the best, who are the people that are interested in doing something with us. And we, from that, we get a top 20 list. From the top 20 list, they all come to Melbourne at their own expense. Wow. And they spend three days here, and we bring about 100 mentors together in that. It's quite an exhausting three-day exercise. And at the end of that, then we're able to select the top 10 uh, startups into the program. That's quite the pressure cooker you're describing there. So, uh, Jonathan, when did you first hear about the opportunity to pitch to Startup Bootcamp? Uh, it was probably, let's see, uh, September or October of last year. Um, you know, as a startup founder, you know, I'm constantly looking for opportunities to grow the business. And there's quite a few, you know, programs like this. And I think it was actually uh, somebody from the local media in San Diego that uh, brought this to our attention. Uh, we were involved with an incubator in San Diego, and uh, we had a connection with some, some people in the local media. And he uh, brought this, the opportunity to me. And so I went down and met the guys when they came through San Diego. And I think it was October. I guess you have to be pretty serious to throw down some money before you, they've committed to you and actually suss out the whole experience. Was was that a, a bit of a scary prospect to fly around the world? You know, it's quite expensive to get to Australia sometimes. Yeah, well, it is uh, It is halfway around the world. It's uh, not a small trip. But um, our business already had some pretty good traction in Southeast Asia, and we were getting some interest out of Australia. And so when this opportunity came up, uh, it, it kind of made sense to um, come down to Australia and 
put some boots on the ground and uh, see what the local market was all about. And I'm really glad I did. When, when I came down, the uh, the experience going through the selection days, getting to meet all of the the mentors and the, the sponsors and the, the team behind Startup Bootcamp um, convinced me that it would be a, a good event to participate in if we were selected. And, and we were. We're definitely going to get more into the details of your, your business in, in a moment. But before we get there, Trevor... Were there many surprises in the range of ideas being pitched to you? Because energy, you know, it could go anywhere, smart energy. Yeah, certainly. I mean, s- smart energy is um, fascinating. And um, and what we're seeing is, particularly with the Internet of Things, IoT, being deployed into the networks, we're now seeing the digitisation of energy. And what that what that's causing is a whole lot of new different, different business models, different ways of approaching energy, different ways of looking at energy efficiency, utilisation, creating all these things like off-grid solutions, micro-grid solutions, allowing people in communities to share energy, for example, trade it amongst themselves. So the energy sector used to be a whole lot about big, hard tech. It used to be, you know, a lot about machines and so forth. Now it's really a combination of both the hardware and the software. And, um, you know, when Jonathan explains his uh, solution later, you know, one of the really interesting things about Uprise was the fascinating combination of both hardware and the design there, but also that the software that he put into the uh, solution, which was just, uh, you know, well-breaking and revolutionary. So, you know, we looked for technologies which are are disruptive, uh, can change the world, um, hopefully for the better. Um, and, you know, we saw lots of great tech. We saw lots of great tech around batteries um, in, in different ways. So a lot of uh, tech around um, electric vehicle infrastructure. Unfortunately, Australia really lags behind mm-hmm. in electric vehicles, which is a big shame. And, um, you know, we couldn't really help those companies. But hopefully, you know, going forward in the next couple of years, Australia may start to catch up a little bit with the, you know, g- uh, greener and cleaner um, vehicle fleets. So, Jonathan, uh, enough suspense. What is Uprise Energy all about? Well, we're a, we're a startup. We're, we're building a new class of wind turbine. Uh, the wind turbine that we've designed, it, it fits in a standard 6-meter or 20-foot shipping container. Uh, you can tow it with an ordinary vehicle. And when you arrive on site, uh, one person can set the whole machine up in one hour's time. Um, but beyond the portability, we've, we've done a handful of uh, innovative and unique things in order to improve the machine's performance, especially in the, the lower wind speeds that are commonly found around the world. So we were striving to create a clean energy uh, or a renewable energy option for people that lived at the grid's edge and beyond. And presently, the predominant power source in those regions is diesel generators. And which are, you know, beyond the, the environmental impact, they're also pretty expensive to run. So we were, and they're relying on a fossil fuel, which isn't always available. So we were very solution-minded in developing this product. Um, and, uh, you know, we had certain metrics that we wanted to hit when we were doing the design and we were successful in doing so. And so... That's what uh, gave us the encouragement to move forward with the project and bring it to life. That's great. So how is Uprise planning to improve on current wind turbine energy solutions? Yeah, well, 
So the, the traditional wind turbines uh, rely on very strong wind in order to make power, and which, which is fine if you have those types of conditions. But the reality is, is strong wind is rarely found around the world. Mm -hmm. And so we did an awful lot to improve the performance at lower wind speeds. And traditional wind turbines are have a fixed installation. So uh, meaning that, you know, you, you put a concrete foundation in and you put a permanent mast up and where you put the machine is where it lives for the entirety of its life. And so when you make that type of commitment to a single location, you want to be very sure that you're picking a good spot. And so the process of, of installing a traditional wind turbine takes upwards of two years in order from the time that you say, I want it till the time that you're actually making power. Once you go through the wind studies to make sure that you have appropriate wind conditions to make power, uh, you get the permits and the connections and so forth, uh, it's, it's quite a lengthy process. Our machine on the other hand, as I just said a minute ago, you wheel it in, you set it up in an hour, and um, it makes power in low wind speed. So um, I had no idea that the planning process could take that long. It's it's pretty interesting to hear. Yeah. Well, the the wind study itself usually lasts eighteen months. Right. Wow. And then there's all the community consultation about locations. I guess you've got some advantages there too, like disrupting that that process and just going, let's just try it. We can see if we like it or not. Yeah, that is definitely unique, um, and, and, it, and it puts us into a little bit of a gray area because with we are a portable generator, and in most areas, you don't need a permit to run a portable generator, but uh, as far as I know, we're the first portable generator that's 20 meters tall with a 7-meter rotor diameter, and, you know, so... Uh, you know, there's going to be certain uh, councils that will, you know. I, I've just suddenly been thinking there's going to be a lot of interest from music festivals who want to go greener. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, do you fall into a lot of the same issues that cranes fall into in terms of temporary structures? And Well, potentially, um, you know, we're really going after uh, rural environments where right. there is plenty of space. Uh, this is not an urban uh, machine, so it's it's not something that you're going to find in people's backyards. We're not uh, going to see it at the drain raves anytime soon, Joe. So. Oh, <laughs> but, maybe oh, but we may. We, <laughs> I, I have had a, a discussion with one of the um, councils here, one of the large councils and who are trying to move towards zero emissions, and they're very interested in um, the uprise wind turbine you know, to be able to run festivals without, um, you know, running generators and so forth. So I think there is applicability in those areas. It's brilliant. So Trevor, you know, there are a lot of surprises in Jonathan's company where you just, there's things that we don't know about solutions that could be out there. Did you find a lot of surprises in the, in the ideas being pitched? Oh yeah, I mean, I learned a lot in um, you know traveling around the world, listening to um, all these startup founders. I mean, the, the most... Um, you know, the most interesting thing is actually meeting the founders, meeting people like Jonathan when you're on the road um, and hearing their passion for their product projects or their products um, and how they're trying to change things. But, um, you know, we saw, uh, again, lots of fascinating technologies across uh, blockchain in terms of uh, energy trading, energy sharing and so forth. We saw lots of energy monitoring solutions and 
little bit of advice to any startups out, out there. Don't start another energy monitoring company. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, it's the market saturated a little, is it? Oh, of people yeah, trying to get that done. Yes, very, very, very saturated, and mm. I think uh, quite, uh, quite a long way. But there's a lot um, to do. We're seeing trends um, in areas of um, reinforcing the, the current uh, grid. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of fragility in the grid, especially since a lot of renewables have come into play, and people who have got solutions and technologies that can help stabilise the grid or take data off the grid and so they understand it more, understand forecasting around um, renewables and how they behave in different sun and wind conditions. There's lots of good solutions that we're seeing in in those areas, for example. Um, Lots of good new battery tech. Uh, getting away from the uh, you know the rare earth chemicals and and uh, see that's and starting that. to be exciting because too many of the battery solutions we see it's like great it's a better battery but the battery itself is not amazing for the environment yeah correct and I think when uh, I was with Jonathan in San Diego we saw some bulletproof batteries which were <laughs> you know, is, really interesting is there, is there a as big well. market for that as well how's, how's the research going on that uh, quite niche I believe <laughs> but you know it was cool <laughs> I just can't wait for that to be a plot device in a film that we'll go and see you know a little little uh, battery pack in the in the breast pocket instead of the Bible perhaps <laughs> oh exactly yeah you know it's like I got my life was saved by my mobile <laughs> Phone, you know. <laughs> we are beginning to drift and uh, it's such a such an interesting topic. So we're going to come back after a break with more from Trevor Townsend from Startup Bootcamp and more from Jonathan Knight from Uprise Energy about smart energy solutions. But 7.33 on Triple R, you're with Bite Into It with Joe and Vanessa. And we're in the middle of a conversation with Trevor Townsend, who's the Managing Director of Startup Bootcamp Melbourne, and Jonathan Knight, who's the CEO and co-founder of Uprise Energy, a wind turbine solution focused company now we have already spoken a bit about the the boot camp that's going on but you are part of a global network of um, startup boot camp accelerators based in cities around the world they're focused on areas including fintech digital health smart cities internet of things and cybersecurity. and now we've got smart energy so i wondered trevor has the organization been refining the boot camp model based on those experiences in different locations Yes, absolutely. Um, We run now 20-odd programs a year and each program has about 70 workshops in it. Um, And after every workshop, we get the startups to review the workshop and then we iterate around. So we we do this build, measure, learn, the same as we're asking startups to do. Um, But we're able to iterate our, our content 20 times a year. Obviously, we're not changing it all the time, but we can improve it because, you know, we're, we're doing it so often in different locations. Um, and in each location, we do tailor it um, depending on the cohort that's, uh, that we have with us, the 10 startups, because they may be in different stages or, 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 um, or so. But we know what works. You know, everything, you know, right down to when we're having like selection days, do the do the teams move around the tables or do the mentors move around the tables, right? Things, just simple things like that, you know. If the mentors move around the tables, they go missing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you keep them still and you get the startups to move. You know, I think li- that's a learning we can all take from this. Yeah, yeah. So little learnings like that for everything we do allows us to execute quite a high quality, high quality program. I think beyond that, though, it's when we're connecting the ecosystems on particular topics, like, you know, we have something like, I think now about 11 fintech programs um, around the world. We have uh, smart transport and energy in Berlin, 
connected to here, connected to the IoT programs. So when someone from a, a Melbourne program turns up in Barcelona or, or, or a city like that where we have another program, they're immediately able to connect to mentors and people who are interested in that sort of technology and people who can help them get contacts to, you know, um, talk to the right sort of customers in the marketplace. Um, and that really helps them because, you know, we've got... Uh, cities in, uh, sorry, uh, offices now in so many cities in the world and every business these days needs to be globally focused, you know. You really need to be looking at trying to scale globally so we provide that kind of network for the startups to move into. Um, Do you see, uh, Jonathan, like, do you see the benefits of being part of a themed startup bootcamp really coming through in your experience? Yeah, without a doubt, yeah. you know, I think I mentioned earlier that I was a, a part of an incubator back in San Diego, which um, it, it's a tech incubator. And um, I, I have nothing but good to say about those guys, but it was a very diverse group. And we were one of the only, or maybe the only energy focused company. Um, so the experience of coming into Startup Bootcamp Energy Program, where I'm surrounded by nine other in energy programs, companies and we're all on the same schedule and we're all working towards a common goal um i found a lot of uh, uh, a lot of benefit in in being in that kind of environment and when you're running these programs you know you're bringing a lot of mentors and it sounds like you've got a lot of crossovers of government and business as well and yet these teams have been sourced from around the world are they getting a a global enough view of, you know, experience shared or, you know, do, do the regional issues bleed in? Like, how do you manage for that? Um, so I think all the startups bring their global perspective. You know, we have um, eight countries represented, so they know a lot about different uh, markets. But a lot of them are here to learn about how a market going through disruption mm. uh, operates. So the, the energy market here is having a lot of disruption both, you know, um, we're seeing it with grid, in, grid instability, blackouts and things like that. We're seeing it with price shock. Uh, we're seeing it with deferred investment decisions and things of that nature. So it's really good uh, experience for the, the startups to be in a, mar- in a market where there is so much change and turmoil because then they can look to find how do they make a niche in those markets because any market that's in turmoil is ripe for disruption um, and that's where startups need to come in. In stable kind of well-ordered markets, very hard for a startup to get, to, to get their nose in and, and to get going. And what are the benefits for Melbourne for being a startup bootcamp hub? Oh, well, um, so we're part funded by the Victorian government by Launch Vic, and it's about building the startup community here in Melbourne. And I think, you know, Smart Energy um, has a home in Melbourne and we're passionate about building smart energy. So Australia is quite passionate about um, renewables and, you know, we have the highest um, number of PV households, um, you know, solar installed around, you know, in Victoria. So that shows that I think the consumers are way beyond where the government are really in terms of uh, wanting a cleaner, uh, more sustainable future. Um, So I think we can build the tech around that because that's only kind of like stage one or stage 0.5 of moving to a a clean energy future, right? It's about using less, knowing what you're using and how you're using it, looking at various different ways to save energy as well as different ways to produce energy like Uprise are doing. So it's a combination of usage 
and 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 production, but then also using smart technology um, across you know between those things and different business models, so that it's inclusive and affordable for everybody. Great. So, Jonathan. Um You've spoken a bit about, you know, going through this process of other energy-themed startups. I wonder if you could tell us anything that excites you about some of the other teams involved in the Accelerator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I I often reflect on how there's 10 companies that are all energy-focused and there's really very little, if any, overlap between one company and another. But as a collective group, we, we... add on to each other's values. And so one of the attractions that I had in joining the uh, Startup Bootcamp was we were we were looking at energy storage, uh, using flywheels for energy storage. And there happens to be a innovative company in the, in the cohort, Oxto Energy, that is bringing to market a very neat flywheel product. And so I was excited about getting able to being able to work with him. Uh, another thing that is important for our technology is to be able to broker the power that we generate at the grid's edge. Um, and so I've looked at blockchain as being a tool that, that could be used in order to facilitate, facilitate those peer-to-peer transactions. And again, there is WePower that's in the cohort who they're they are a blockchain energy trading company. So I was really excited about working with those companies, but since I've been involved, um, there's a handful of other companies that I've gotten to know what they do and where their value is, and I'm looking to partner with a couple of the other uh, companies in the group as well. So there's been a lot of added value of, of being around all of these innovative startups. It's really revolutionary to me to hear about fledgling companies already talking about partnering and the rich collaboration that's happening in this environment. That's, that's kind of exciting to me, aside from the green slant of all these companies as well. That's uh, that's really cool. We think they could all do business with each other. We have to kind of stop them and say, go out and talk to other <laughs> customers. Uh, these are too easy for you to, uh, to talk to. And they have to push them out the door and make sure that they, uh, they, they talk to other end customers. Now, Trevor, there's a startup demo day coming up. Um, what can people expect to experience at this? Well, I think, um, you know, the demo day is really the culmination of uh, three months' hard work uh, for the uh, startups. And um, the whole purpose of demo day is um, twofold. Really, it's a celebration of uh, actually finishing the program and I think that's for the startups and us running it. It's uh, uh, quite tiring. I think one of the biggest complaints we get is I just don't have enough time. Um, so one thing is a, a celebration but really most of the startups um, are in these sort of programs to accelerate both their business contacts and also their fundraising. Um, so all the startups um, bar one or two who have already done some fundraising uh, will be looking um, to get their um, seed round off and running just directly after um, um, after demo day. So, you know, we'll have an investor session there. Um, but for anyone who comes along, uh, they get to meet uh, the 10 startups, hear them pitch, and then, and then um, we'll have a networking session where they can really find out a little bit more about uh, their technology um, or their business model. And, um, you know, they're all looking for partnerships. Some of them will be looking for employees here in Melbourne as they build their business out here or the Australian part of their operation. And, of course, some will be looking for um, investors. And, um, you know, we, we've got nearly 400 people turning up on uh, Demo Day. 
But we could do a couple of free tickets if anyone wants to um, email us at energyaus, energyaus, at startupbootcamp.org. If you email that email address, energyaus at startupbootcamp.org, we could um, get you along on Friday. Thanks, Trevor. That's um, a very generous offer. So, Jonathan, what would be a good outcome for Uprise Energy from the demo day? Well, as a startup that's building a product, I came to Australia with three goals. Uh, One was to add uh, customers to our pipeline, um, to learn about strategic partnerships for both product representation and potential manufacturing partners in the region. Uh, But as a startup that has been largely self-funded to date, um, that has good traction, we are we're looking for a, a good investor to join the team that shares our vision and would allow us to uh, scale the business faster and accelerate our path to market. Well, we wish you all the best of that and uh, good luck to all the other startups as well. It's been, it's been wonderful hearing about the journey tonight. So thanks for sharing that with us. Great. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Great. We've just been speaking to Trevor Townsend from Startup Bootcamp Melbourne and Jonathan Knight from Uprise Energy, if you want to go Google them and find out a little bit more. 7.50 on Triple R, you're with uh, Vanessa and Joe on Bite Into It. I do know our names, really, I do. I'm not sure of mine anymore. <laughs> it's tough on these public holidays that feel like Saturdays, but you know it's radio day. I hope everyone's enjoying their Anzac Day out there. Now, I believe we have an exciting event to announce, hey, Joe. Oh, yeah. Um, so, bite into it. That's Yay. us. <laughs> We're having our 25th anniversary and it's a live on location from Melbourne Knowledge Week. And it's on Wednesday, May the 9th from 7 to 8pm. So to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Triple R's weekly computer and technology show, the program will be live from the Melbourne Knowledge Week Hub at the Meat Market in North Melbourne. Hang out with hosts Vanessa Taholka. That's me. And Warren Davies as they share news, reviews, interviews and all things tech. So as I said, Wednesday the 9th of May from 7 to 8pm, free entry. Come down or tune in. The event is part of Melbourne Knowledge Week, 7th to the 13th of May 2018, and it's proudly presented by the City of Melbourne. You can get more information at mkw.melbourne.vic.gov.au. Look, we are super thrilled to be part of Melbourne Knowledge Week. We're big fans on the show, and we will be having some special guests who will be announced very soon. It's a chance to see some of the tech projects that we discuss in person as well. So we'll, we'll have a big screen we can take advantage of and, and be able to project some, some visuals. So that's kind of cool. We're excited. Yeah, and it is um, brought to you by Mountain Goat. We are thrilled about that as well. I'm a big fan. Big fan of that little Richmond brewery. All right. So it's the last little bit of bite into it for the night. And there was a, a tweet that came out from... This guy I follow, who is an amazing guy, his name's Carl Wiens, and he's the CEO of iFixit. And he's really one of these people leading the right to repair movement in the States. Um, so that's, he's, he's someone really worth following on Twitter. But unfortunately, he had to tweet out about a friend of his today who was sentenced to 15 months in jail for helping refurbishers reinstall windows on their computers. So what does this mean? It means that people who are trying to get longer life cycles out of hardware, like, you know, basic PCs um, that exist and the sort of software that they need tends to be not 
purchasable, brand new anymore. It tends to be legacy um, operating system software. Uh, so there was a guy who was running a business out of recycling electronic waste. And part of the way he did that was by um, getting copies of Microsoft operating systems that were out of date and loading them onto loader disks. Now, it's not as simple as that. I mean, this software was actually provided for free on the Microsoft website for people doing exactly this. So people already had to have a Microsoft um, licensed kind of machine, a machine that had a certificate, but it just had to have been wiped or, or in some state of disrepair. And this was the service pack that you could then download to fix it up and, and reinstall a package that you'd already paid for on that computer. So the idea is that it's meant to solve a problem and, and fill a gap. And this e-waste guy decided to help bridge that gap a bit more. It, it's a gap in internet access and a gap in knowledge about how to how to solve this problem with, with vintage PCs. And he just went, right, I'm just going to outsource this to China and get them to, you know, burn many, many copies of this onto CDs and make it available um, to anyone who wants to reuse them. So the story goes all the way back to 2012 when US custom officials seized a shipment of these CDs coming from China and began investigating what they were, thinking it was like a copyright violation. And it ended up that um, they got taken to court. Um, it's a really, it's one of those grey area type of emergent uses of, of things that has unfortunately fallen through the gaps and left this guy vulnerable to prosecution, even though he's trying to do the right thing. And it's just one of those real downers, unfortunately. It's almost farcical. Yeah. Just but look, if you're interested in this, um, there's an article on the WashingtonPost.com. I know that there are some really vibrant uh, repair communities in Melbourne in particular, and I'd you know, love to hear what they have to think about this sort of thing and whether people are vulnerable to this sort of problem in Australia as well. Uh, hopefully there's some you know, kindly lawyers looking into that for, for people. But it's, it's such a tricky thing, something that for an individual to do that would have been fine legally uh, and it's not fine for someone who helps people you know, reclaim things that they otherwise throw away. And, and I think that's where we start to look at the dark patterns involved in this. It's like, is is this to encourage people to throw away computers that they don't know how to fix, they haven't got the technical skills to fix and force them to purchase a new one? You know, that's it's really problematic. We're spending the, the show tonight talking about green solutions to our energy crisis. And we're always interested in, you know, how... Um, you know, the whole end of life cycle of our our computing products that we love. We don't want to be part of a problem of creating more and more waste and and things that can't be fixed. Uh, so it's, it's just a really important issue and it's one that's we're going to be hearing more and more about. So I thought I'd draw attention to that and just say, yeah, it's worth a read and I'd love people to get a bit informed about that and start having an opinion and, and have conversations to, to people in government about this and, and make sure that we get to a place in Australia where we can hopefully avoid these sort of problems. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be good. Hey, so what's going in on in events this week, Jo? So another Melbourne Knowledge Week event, um, Candy Bowers Live Hack. Um, so it is called, Is Your Metadata a Trail of Breadcrumbs That Anyone Can Follow? So you know Melbourne, but how well does the city know you? 
you'll be surprised by how much of your life can be pieced together from your metadata footprint. So these are the traces you leave when you use everyday technology. So you don't believe us? Well, join Digital Rights Watch in a live hack of Candy Bowers, who's an actor, activist and hip-hop artist, writer, comedian, fierce feminist, poet, performer and producer. Gosh, she's a busy lady. Yeah. She's an excellent MC too, I've seen her. I don't know why MC is not there. So we're going to track Candy as she makes her way through Melbourne using phone tower logs, Mikey touch-ons, Wi-Fi signals, RFID tags and other digital records to reveal what she's doing and who can find out. So this is at Melbourne Knowledge Week and um, we'll tweet the link. It's on the 9th of May, so right after ours, um, at 8.30 from 9.30pm and it's at the hub on the flat floor pavilion of the meat market on uh, North Melbourne. Yeah, it's a gorgeous venue. Uh, something else that's going on, it's actually tomorrow night, is a meetup of the UX and Psychology Melbourne group. Now, this is one we haven't shouted out to before, but they're a really interesting bunch. Uh, they're getting together tomorrow night from 6pm in uh, at Squiz, which is 12 Gipps Street, Collingwood. And what they're looking at is uh, how to join the dots between design and strategy. So if you've ever wondered how you could be more strategic and thought to connect those two things, then they'll be um, talking about that. And that's that's kind of a great little crossover because UX has come so far. And it used to be that you'd never have people with psych backgrounds speaking about it. But nowadays it's it's broaching, it, sorry, it's um, encroaching into interaction design sort of things and there's a whole lot that we wrap up in, in our chats of UX. So, so psychology can come in really handy and particularly looking at things like dark patterns. Excellent. Yeah. So they're our events for the evening. Look, Joe, it's been a pleasure having this show with you tonight and for our very green slant. Um, are you going to be coming along to our live to air? I am so there. I'm so hoping that most of the broader Byte team can be there. We we do have some structural limitations on the amount of mics we can have. And so unfortunately, not all of our, our favourites from the team are going to be able to be up on mic, but hopefully a lot will be in the room. And we're going to have some past presenters in the room too, which I'm super thrilled for. We want to say a massive thank you to our guests this evening from Startup Bootcamp Melbourne with their smart energy focus. We had the managing director, Trevor Townsend, and we had Jonathan Knight, one of the um, one of the startup uh, company CEO and co-founders uh, from Uprise Energy, who's participating in that smart startup bootcamp. We will report back, uh, we hope to report back more on what the outcomes of their demo day are, because that's pretty exciting. So a big thank you to everyone who's joined us tonight and been listening and uh, congratulations to those who picked up the double passes to our live to air coming soon. We've been bite into it and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Until then, stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Crew coming up next. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.